Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Soul City, how are we? There's a few of us that are good. There's a few of us that are good. (laughs) Awesome, awesome. Well, good morning to those of you uh, who are here in this room. Uh, Maybe for the first time, if you're joining us for the first time today, I just want to say welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Or maybe uh, you're watching, worshiping with us online for the first time. Welcome. So glad you're here. Or if you are one of the many, many amazing folks who join us either in this room or online week after week, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad, so truly, truly glad that you're here. I'm truly glad to be here with all of you. You know, we say almost every week here that our mission as a church is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. That is what we are all about. And my hope is that over the course of our time together, that that happens for you, or that continues to happen for you, that over the course of this hour, that your relationship with Jesus, whatever that might look like right now, that your faith would grow, that, that you would be stretched during this time, and that your life would be better because of it. That's what I've been praying as I've been preparing for today. And today, you chose a good week to be here because we are beginning a brand new teaching series. That's right, we're starting a brand new conversation today that we are calling Faith in the Face of. Not to be confused with the Rage Against the Machine song, Killin' in the Name of. For those of you that know it, those of you that do a little weightlifting perhaps. uh, Even though Pastor Jarrett uh, insists on singing the name of this series in a heavy metal singing voice every time we have a meeting about it, uh, that is not the title. Maybe in a few weeks when Jarrett teaches, he can share some of his vocal stylings with you all. But in this series, uh, over the course of the next three weeks, All of us are going to be wrestling together with a question that that I believe is fundamental to any life of faith. And that question is this, how do you turn to God when life turns on you? Like, How do you turn to God in those moments where it feels like life has just turned its back on you? In those moments where it feels like everything has just been flipped upside down. Like, what does faith look like in the face of your second furlough in the last year? Or in the face of losing your job altogether? Or in the face of not just a job change, but an entire career shift? And maybe you're not really sure what exactly it is you are shifting to, but you know you can't keep doing what you are doing. Where does faith fit then? Where does faith fit when you've made a huge decision, right? Maybe you moved or you changed jobs and you had all these expectations about what it was going to look like when you did, and then a pandemic hit the week after. And now, in the last year, none of your plans that you had are working out in the way that you thought they would. How does faith play a role then? What does faith look like when the diagnosis is worse than you ever imagined it would be. Or when that relationship that that you thought you could count on suddenly falls apart. Or the dream that you'd been praying for continues to not happen. Or when our world just moves at this pace and everything is, it's all so crazy and you're starting to get worried about where we might be headed as a culture, as a nation, as a society. Where does faith fit in all of that? 
Just a few minutes ago, we talked about a life of faith as a transforming relationship with Jesus. And right off the bat, I want to do a little bit of a reality check for everyone. The reality is that that journey of faith for anybody will always include roadblocks. It will always include detours and setbacks and obstacles. Anyone in this room or watching online who has been in the game with God for a minute, you know that this is true. That just comes part and parcel with the whole thing. And so the proposition that we have in a relationship with Jesus, it's not, if I have faith, then only good things will happen. It's not, so long as I believe in God, then everything's going to be good. That's actually not the offer that Jesus extends to us. And so the question that all of us who want to do life with Jesus have to ask is, how do I choose faith even in the face of things that I would never choose? How do I choose faith in the face of loss or in the face of change or disappointment or pain? Or, as I want to spend some time talking about today, what does faith look like in the face of doubt? I want to talk this morning a little bit, if it's okay with you, Zoe. I want to talk about... (laughs) I want to talk about doubt. Is that all right with everyone? Writer Daniel Taylor uh, defines doubt this way. Doubt is misgivings or hesitations about truth claims. So the reality is you can actually doubt anything. Anything that claims to be true is an opportunity for you to experience doubt. You can doubt the structural integrity of the chair you are sitting in right now, whether it will hold you up or not. You can doubt that your GPS is actually giving you the fastest route. I doubt that mine ever does. (laughs) You can doubt that your spouse is going to be ready to leave the house at the time you both had agreed to leave because she is constantly late. Hypothetical situation, of course. (laughs) But you see, the doubt that I want us to discuss and wrestle with today specifically is religious doubt. Specifically, I want to talk about Christian doubt. And so in that case, we're going to have to shift Taylor's definition a little bit. So when we talk about doubt today, we're talking about this. We're talking about misgivings or hesitations about the truth claims of God, the Bible, and the Christian church throughout history. In 2017, the Barna organization conducted a study that revealed that 75% of active or past Christians have struggled with doubt. And so if you have spent any time in Christianity or around the church, you have likely three, you know, 75% chance that you have experienced or confronted doubt in one way or another. Or you've probably at least been confronted or maybe even engaged in a few different ways of dealing with doubt. And so to get us started in this conversation, I actually wanted to share with you all three ways of dealing with doubt that I see are pretty prevalent in the church throughout history and especially the church Today, So I want to share these with you. The first approach to doubt is what we'll call uh, the camp counselor approach to doubt. Now, uh, when I was growing up, I went to and I worked at a lot of summer camps. And at any one of these summer camps, there was always one student or one kid who was labeled as a doubter or, or they were struggling with doubt. Usually this was a kid who was really, really intelligent. Maybe he like, really liked science or something. But really, he just asked a lot of questions. Usually it was a he, asking a lot of questions during small group time. 
and the traditional response using the camp counselor approach to these doubts, the traditional response is to diminish the doubt, to sweep it under the rug, to ignore it, to put the question away. The doubter's questions, when we use the camp counselor method, the doubter's questions are not really given the time of day. They're not really given space to wrestle with them. In fact, using the camp counselor approach, you would not actually encourage the asking of questions at all. The camp counselor response to doubt is usually something like, you should just have faith. Like, you just need to believe. So that's the camp counselor approach. Now let's talk about the second one. This is what we'll call the armchair theologian. The armchair theologian. Now, this could be a pastor could be a seminary student, could be a small group leader, or could just be a really nosy religious neighbor. But the armchair theologian sees doubt as something to debate. Like any question or any doubt can easily be argued or it can be explained away. The armchair theologian always has an answer. They always have another Bible verse for you to look up or another Christian book for you to read. The armchair theologian, they look at doubt and they think if you just had more knowledge, or if you just read more, if you just knew more about God or the Bible, well then you wouldn't doubt so much. It's an easy solution. So camp counselor, the armchair theologian, then we have the freshman philosophy professor. (laughs) The freshman philosophy professor delights in doubt. If the armchair theologian always has an answer, the philosophy professor always has another question. They always have another objection. Now, obviously, this person is not always a professor. Uh, One of my best friends in college fit this approach to doubt to a T. I love him very much, but one of the ways that we actually met and got to know each other was him showing up to every Bible study and every small group that I ever led just to poke holes in the conversation. Like, just to point out every inconsistency or seemingly problematic verse in the Bible, or to bring up, you know, some of the very real hurts that the church has caused throughout history. But he would do it at a time where it was totally irrelevant to the conversation that we were actually having. You see, the freshman philosophy professor, for them, doubt or skepticism is the point. In fact, doubt kind of becomes the new God. And the freshman philosophy professor doesn't just want to ask questions themselves. They want everyone to question everything, usually because of some kind of pain or insecurity they have within themselves. And I can only say that because I have been the philosophy professor. Now, I want to be really clear. This is not at all to minimize the actual work of camp counselors or theologians or philosophy professors. There are many out there, maybe who are part of our church. You all do great work, love you. These are just archetypes to help us see the modern church's traditional approaches to doubt. And maybe you've had some experience with some of these approaches. Like maybe you came up in a tradition, you have a background that really diminished doubt. And you were kind of discouraged in your church upbringing from asking any questions whatsoever. Or maybe you've been hurt by someone debating your doubts. Maybe you were made uh, to feel ignorant because you didn't have all the answers like they seem to have all the answers. Or maybe at one point or another you found yourself in a season or maybe you found yourself in a group of people that really, really delighted in doubt. 
Like you, you started to, to pull the thread on the faith that you inherited from your parents. And at first, those questions, they felt liberating. Like you felt a lot of freedom being able to ask those questions, but then as you kept questioning and you kept deconstructing, you kept pulling the thread to the point where you started to wonder like, does the Christian faith even work for me anymore? Like, can I even, like, do I even want to call myself a Christian? Like, I, I, I think I have faith, but then I look at a lot of things happening in the church, I look at a lot of traditional beliefs, and I'm not really sure I fit in that. But then I look at our culture, and I look at where that's going, and I, I'm not really sure I fit there, so I'm kind of this too churchy for the world, too worldly for the church kind of person. What do I do then? Do I still fit? You see, I think regardless of your experience with questions or misgivings about God or Christianity. I think the reality is even the slightest brush with doubt can give birth to another question in our heads. And that question is, does doubt destroy faith? That Barna study that I talked about earlier, it goes on to share that 20% of the Christians who experienced doubt said that their experience led their faith to becoming weaker, or it led to them losing their faith altogether. So again, regardless of how it's dealt with, we start to question, does doubt destroy faith? Is the very presence of doubt antithetical to faith? Are faith and doubts opposites? Can I still call myself a Christian if I have these questions? What questions are allowed? What questions are not? And as a person of faith, what do I actually do with the questions? What do I actually do with these hesitations? That's what I want us to talk about today. So if you have a Bible or maybe you have one on a device of some sort, I want you to open it up and I want you to open it up to Psalm 73. If you open up about halfway in the Bible, you might find it. Psalm 73. That's where we're going to be camping out for the rest of our time today. And we're actually going to be spending uh, the rest of these three weeks in this series uh, talking about and walking through the Psalms. We're going to be using the Psalms as a way for us to wrestle with these faith in the face of questions. Real quick, for those of you who, who maybe aren't as familiar with the Bible, or maybe you're just unfamiliar with the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms is a collection of 150 prayers in the form of poems or song lyrics written to God by God's people. Really simple way to think of the book of Psalms, it's a prayer book. That's all it is. These are prayers that we, as readers of scripture, are actually meant to borrow and use, borrow those prayers. And you may have an understanding of the Psalms as being filled with these wonderful, inspirational, tweetable verses about how good God is and about how peaceful our lives are. And believe me, there's plenty of verses in here that are like that. But you should also know that about one-third of the prayers that we find in this book are actually prayers of lament. Meaning that a large part of what we find in the Psalms it is not a bunch of churchy worship songs, but we actually see these poets wrestling with the realest, rawest of human emotions and experiences. And we see them bringing those emotions and experiences quite vulnerably to God. You're about to see it in Psalm 73. Let's start in verse one. Psalm 73, the poet says, surely, God is good to Israel. Another way of saying that is surely God is good to his people. Surely God is good to his 
chosen good people. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You just heard uh, Christy, our director of care in that video earlier, talk about how to her, doubt feels like falling off of a cliff. And the poet in Psalm 73 would absolutely agree. What he's saying, he's saying that the experience of doubt, it's like climbing a rock face and, and having a really solid foothold in a small crevice and you're feeling good, everything's going well, and then all of a sudden, that rock gives way from under your foot. And you find yourself hanging off the edge of this cliff. In other words, the experience of doubt always moves us from orientation to disorientation. For the poet, the poet here moves from surely God is good to people who are good. That's how the world works. Orientation to, and yet it seems like bad people really are enjoying their lives. Seems like good things continue to happen to bad people. Disorientation. That's what doubt does. We go from being comfortable, from feeling like we're in control, to feeling like we have some semblance of how the world works, to disorientation. The pandemic hits. The diagnosis comes back. The phone rings with the news. We see someone waving a Jesus saves sign as they storm the Capitol. We hear our pastor say something that we disagree with from a political perspective. And in just one tweet, one moment, one conversation, we go from feeling grounded, we go from feeling sure, we go from feeling secure to feeling like we are hanging off the edge of a cliff. And it's a cliff that we're not actually sure can hold us anymore. What do we do then? Where do we go from here? And can I just say real quick, if that's where you find yourself today, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, if that's where you find yourself today in that disorientation, that's a really hard place to be in. Trust me, I, I know what that is like. That is not fun. In fact, I, I know from being a part of this church for a while now, that there are a lot of you out there who are in this very position right now. Out of all the pastoral conversations that I have with people at our church, this conversation about doubt and deconstruction is the conversation I find myself in the most. We just heard our staff talk about how common it is for doubts to begin to creep in on the heels of some kind of trauma a death or a loss of some sort. And when you think about that for a second, when, when a crisis in our lives is rear-ended by a crisis of faith, that's incredibly difficult. Or when, when you have certain individual beliefs that you maybe inherited and, and that shaped your worldview and your whole life, those were things that informed the person that you became and then you start to question the validity and the truth of those beliefs, that is not just an intellectual quandary. That can feel like a crisis of identity. That is heavy. That is hard. 
And then, can I also say real quick, that we do ourselves and we do others at best a disservice, and at worst, we do spiritual harm when we treat doubt as nothing more than just a lack of faith. Or when we treat doubt as nothing more than a lack of intelligence. You just need to read more. You just need to listen to this podcast. We actually are doing spiritual harm when we hear that the foundation of someone's faith, they share vulnerably with us, that the foundation of their faith feels like it's starting to chip away. And out of our own insecurity, we take the sledgehammer of our skepticism and we just destroy the whole thing. It might feel like you're liberating someone. We're actually not. And believe me, the only reason I share that is not to be hard on anyone who's done that, because I have done all of those things. But believe me, I get it. I I get why we might want to diminish or or debate or explain away faith, both in ourselves and in other people. It's because we're afraid. We're afraid that doubt is going to just destroy our faith. We're afraid that if we question a little bit, then we're going to lose all of it. That's the fear. And while I get that fear, absolutely, that's a tension that I live with every single day, I would actually argue that the approach of minimizing or explaining away doubts or sweeping them under the rug, that is not actually helping our faith, that is actually hurting our faith. And it's not just my opinion, there's some stuff to back it up. You want to learn how it's backed up? Let's do it. Let's return to Psalm 73, okay? I want to go back to Psalm 73. Remember, this guy... He has just experienced a profound disorientation. His faith is shaken. And what he does in Psalm 73 is he goes on to wrestle with his doubts for several more verses. And I'm going to read through the majority of this psalm. And here's what I want you to do. Here's your job. I want you to pay attention to two things as I read. First, I want you to notice how honest this poet is with God. I think a lot of the times we feel this pressure to like, coat our language in prayer as though God can't handle how we really feel or as if he don't already know. I want you to watch this poet, how he honestly brings all of himself to God. And then second, I want you to notice what happens as a result of him bringing with, wrestling with his doubts in the presence of God. Let's read this together. Psalm 73, surely God is good to Israel. To those who are pure in heart, that's the way the world works. But, disorientation. As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They, the wicked, have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves in violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity or crookedness. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Does this guy sound like he's holding back to you? This guy's keeping it 100 with God. He's not messing around. He's not trying to be religious. He's saying, this is how I feel. This feels unfair. And he has permission to bring that. In fact, that's in the Bible. Just saying. Verse 10. Therefore, the wicked, their people, turn to them in abundance. They drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? 
Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Then he turns it on himself. Watch this. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. Is there any point to this whole religious thing? I've tried so hard to be good, God. I've tried so hard to do the right thing. For years, I've tried to live my life the way you want me to live it, and my life is a struggle while they're just living it up. How? Why? He keeps going. He's not holding back. All day long, I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, if I had acted like them, I would have betrayed your children. He's a little jealous. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Watch this. Verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God. When I tried to understand all this, like when I tried to read a bunch of books, when I listened to all those podcasts, when I just kind of sat with myself and wrestled with it and tried and journaled and tried to do it all by myself, it troubled me deeply. But then I went to church. Then I got quiet. Then I got on my knees in prayer. Then I went into the presence of God and watch what happens. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely, God, you place them on slippery ground. It's not what it seems. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed. By their own doing, by the way. Completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you despise them as fantasies. Now watch this. He turns it on himself again. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, when I was in the depths of my doubt, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into your glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire besides you, God. My flesh and my heart, my mind and my questions, my intellect and me trying to figure it out all on my own, that may fail, but God, God is my strength and my portion forever. Now hold on. I don't know this poet personally. But does that sound like someone whose doubt has destroyed his faith to you? No, if anything, it's the exact opposite. If anything, what we learn, what we see in Psalm 73 is that doubt does not mean that your faith is destroyed. Doubt means that your faith is developing. That's what it means. Doubt does not mean that you are disqualified from faith. The presence of doubt doesn't actually equal an absence of faith. The presence of doubt is a sign that your faith is ready to develop. That you are ready to go a little deeper than where you are currently at. It doesn't mean that it's time for you to get out. It actually means that it's time for you to dive in. And listen, when when I talk to so many of the people at our church who attend our church regularly, but they're still not totally sure about the whole transforming relationship with Jesus thing, There's a lot of you around here, and I love you all very much. And when I hear your questions, and when I hear that you still have some hesitations 
And you hear the things we sing about and the things that we say, and you're still not totally sure if it's true. When I talk to someone in that position, I don't see someone who's disqualified from faith. I see someone whose faith is currently in development. I see under construction. I want you to hear me. The reality is, doubt does not have to be a spiritual padlock keeping you from walking into the door of faith. Doubt doesn't even have to be a roadblock keeping you from God. What we learn here is doubt can actually be the road itself that leads you to God. If you wrestle with these questions, if you wrestle with your doubts and bring them into the presence of God consistently over time. Or, as I've been preparing this message, I've thought about so many of my friends who would consider themselves to be in what they would call a season of deconstruction right now. There's a lot of you out there. These are folks who grew up in faith. They've been around church for a while, some of them their entire lives. But as seasons of life and circumstances have changed, their worldviews have started to shift a little bit. For many of them, their perspective of the church has changed from this comforting sanctuary to a deeply flawed institution. And as all these questions and doubts start to swirl around in their heads, and I'll keep it 100, these questions are in my head as well. The other question that goes on top of them is, does all of this still fit? Or let's be real, the question is, do I still fit into all of this? Like with all these questions, with all these hesitations, do I still belong in this Christian thing? When I look at one of my friends who's in a season like that, I want you to know, I don't see someone whose faith is destroyed. I don't even necessarily see someone whose faith is decaying. I see someone whose faith is ready to go deeper. I see a generation of believers who want to dig deeper. They want to dig below the surface. They want to get below the ugliness and the corruption that human beings so often place on top of the good and redemptive heart of God. They want to get to the real thing. And so if you're here this morning and you're in that season of deconstruction, that is hard. That is difficult. But just know you're not disqualified from this. You are not. You're just ready to go deeper and we need you to go deeper. Please keep digging. You know, maybe some of you out there, let's be honest, some of you might be out there sitting, you know, John, I just never really doubt. Like, I just never really struggle with questions about God. And if that's where you're at, I'll just say to you, if you're in the market for some doubt, might I suggest becoming a pastor? And hear me, that's not to say that my spiritual journey is just riddled with doubt and only doubt. That's not true. Nor am I trying to say that my spiritual journey is any more difficult than anyone else in this room. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I came on staff full-time at this church around eight months ago. And as one of the many pastors and teachers here, part of my job is to wrestle with these big questions of faith. After all, I am one of the people that you might email or come to if you had one of these questions or doubts that we've been talking about. And I'll share with you that I hit a point a few weeks ago where I was really starting to feel the weight of it all. Not only was I feeling the weight of my own questions, but I was feeling the weight of other people's questions. 
And I was feeling the weight of our world and, and our nation right now, where sometimes it just feels like God is totally absent, or at least he's working in a way that I don't understand. And I've always been an avid reader. I've always been a podcast listener. I've always been a sermon junkie. But ever since I took this job, I turned that up tenfold. Because for me, there is always another topic in need of study. There's always another concept that I need to educate myself on. There's always another question that I feel like I need to give an answer or deeper understanding to. And I love that work. Hear me. I love it. But I hit a point a few weeks ago where I... I just felt tired, and I felt really overwhelmed by it all. I felt, I felt kind of like I was starting to lose my foothold a little bit on it. And some of you might know this, but every week our staff gets together on Monday mornings for a prayer and worship time. And a few Mondays ago, we were singing some throwback worship songs during that worship time. I'm talking like late 90s, early 2000s stuff. Y'all Gen Zers in the room don't know nothing about Big Daddy Weave, okay? <laughs> But we were over in the prayer hall, and we were singing all of these songs that I sang back when I first became a follower of Jesus. Like John before he was a pastor. John before he read all the Christian books. John before he ever even really read his Bible. And as we were singing those songs, I spent that entire worship time, like, sobbing. <laughs> Just ugly crying. <laughs> The whole time. And I want you to know, I didn't have that reaction because suddenly in that moment, all of my questions were answered. I didn't have that experience because all of my doubts and the doubts of the people I've been talking to in our church, they were just magically solved and satisfied. But in that moment, I was reminded that long before I ever felt any pressure to explain God to people, I started on this journey because I was captured by God's love for me that I still can't explain. That's what it was really about. I kind of felt like I, was, like I was drowning. I felt all this pressure to, to answer all of these questions. I was mad at God. Like, why does all of this have to be so complicated? And then my heart was reminded of Psalm 73, 23. I heard God say, yet I am always with you. Heard God say, John, listen, I was with you when you were 14, and it was really simple. And I'm still with you now that it's a little more complicated. And listen, my questions still matter. I still pray. I still read. I still search. I still seek for my faith to be developed through my doubts. But in that moment, my questions, they were not answered. But just like the poet, my faith was reinvigorated. Not by an answer, not by a solution, but by the power and by the presence of God. I love what Henry Nouwen says. He says that getting answers to my questions is not the goal of the spiritual life. Living in the presence of God is the greater call. Listen, as much as it might feel like it, your doubts, they don't need more proof. They don't need another podcast. They don't need more pundits. What all of our doubts need, they need the presence of God. The psalmist knew it 3,000 years ago, and we would do well to learn it today. We need the presence of God, both in community and silently with just you and Holy Spirit. With all respect to Barna's 
I would actually argue that we all have questions. We all have some kind of doubt that we're wrestling with. And so we're actually going to seek as a church to create some space over the course of the next week for us to do what the poet did here, to bring our questions and our doubts into God's presence because that is ultimately what they need. And so the first opportunity that we have, this one's on you. This is what we would call your homework here. It is the spiritual practice of returning. Returning, meaning a daily time that we set aside specifically for sitting quietly in the presence of God. Maybe you already do this. Maybe you call it a quiet time, a prayer time. Listen, the language doesn't really matter. What matters is the daily practice of taking all those questions all those hesitations, all those frustrations that we can accumulate through just one day of living life here on earth and vulnerably in the spirit of Psalm 73, bringing them into God's presence. And we're gonna start that practice right now. Our band is gonna come up and and they're gonna play. And what I wanna do is I wanna encourage you during this time to take whatever posture, do whatever you need to do, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, Do whatever you need to do to make yourself available to God's presence in this room. Because my hope is that during this time, that this room would become, as it did for the poet, the sanctuary of God for you. That in these next few moments, you would feel the freedom to keep it 100 between you and God. To bring the real stuff, not the Christian stuff, not the religious stuff, not the stuff you think you should say. Bring what's really going on, because he already knows. And in the spirit of Psalm 73, bring it before God. And I believe that when you do, you will see God meeting you there. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that... Thank you that you're a God that uses everything uses everything for our good. It doesn't mean that everything is good. It just means that it is an opportunity for you to bring about good in our lives, for you to bring about growth in our lives. And I pray that would be true for our doubts today, that that would be true for our questions. Would we feel a freedom to bring it before you and lay it all out? That's what you desire from us, God. Would we feel that freedom today? And in doing that, In returning to your presence, would we lift up those questions, would those doubts, would those hesitations, would they become an offering to you? And would our faith be reinvigorated this morning, not by an answer, not by a solution, not by intellectual understanding, but would our faith be reinvigorated by your presence, which has always been the same, which has stood the test of time and will continue to be with us forever and ever. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.